there's three self-defeating characteristics. There's anger, there's fear, and there's guilt, right? So anger is, and, and it's all surrounding my negative self-talk that we have. And, and anger is should. So I'm shouldn't all over everybody, right? I'm shouldn't all everybody. They should be doing this. They should be doing that. That guy shouldn't have pulled out in front of me because, you know, he was driving around all afternoon looking for Joe DeRoma saying, hey, fuck this guy. I'm going to pull out in front of him today because he's just that important. And it's like, no. Hello, fellow Earthlings. Welcome to the Becoming the Big Me podcast. I'm your host, Jamila Burney, and together we will be stepping into our highest potential, exploring all things mind, body, and soul with just a smidge of business. You're a spiritual badass, soulpreneur, and a warrior for change. You're ready to expand your impact and leave your old self behind in order to raise your vibration so that you can positively influence your business, your community, and ultimately, the world. Without further ado, let's dive right into it. Welcome back to the Becoming the Big Me podcast, Soulpreneur Saturday. I have Joseph here with me today. I'm so excited to introduce Joseph to you. Joseph is a Newfield certified coach trained in ontology, somatic disposition, emotional intelligence, and specializes in personal development and leadership. Joseph first discovered his passion for people development while leading teams and operations in the hospitality industry. Being a product of personal transformation himself, he wanted to provide support for others to discover their potential and gifts. At the Successful Mail, Joseph is leading the way towards developing a global community of men into better versions of themselves, more purposeful, more confident, more motivated, high character leaders who impact their families, communities, and nations. Welcome, Joseph, to the show. I'm so excited to have you here. Oh, thank you. That that sounds, I should have you read that more often for me whenever I'm going anywhere. <laughs> Stopped at a red light or anything, you know? <clears throat> I'll be your personal introduction. <laughs> yeah, that's great. So Joseph, so I met Joseph uh, very recently on an app called Clubhouse. And I resonated with Joseph's message so much as an addict um, rising into purpose. And Joseph has struggled um, through the addiction path as well. So I would just love it if we could just dive head first into the deep end. And I'd love to hear your background, Joseph. Sure. Um, you know, I, I guess like most of us, uh, I started, you know, middle school, high school with uh, a little dabble here and there of uh, getting involved with drugs and alcohol. And, um, you know, I, I think the real catalyst for me was, uh, you know, my, my grandfather passing away on my first day of high school. And dealing with my first real tragedy, right? Like dealing with the first time ever in my life that something so unfair and just that part of life that you just cannot even believe is real or happening. And, um, you know, he was 70, it was pancreatic cancer. He was like a goddamn saint. Um, I mean, cause he met my grandmother and, uh, and left the seminary as a Catholic priest to, to go live a life with her, you know, and um, was always involved in social work and just <clears throat> a high character, high spiritual man. And the, the, the life chance happening that there is all the time, the tragedy of life took him from us very quickly, very abruptly and robbed him of a lot of years and, and a lot of my time with him. And I took that on very selfishly. I turned my back on God. I turned my back on all of my friends that were positive in there. And I just went into a deep hole. Um, I had already been long before that started manipulation, lying, cheating, stealing, things like that. I mean, there was times that I, in sixth grade, I was grounded for six months one time um, in my room. And I just sat there and listened to music every day. Cause this was before, 
TVs were in rooms and all that, you know? So, um, but what that started is, a, is, you know, I didn't have any way of coping with a lot of life that was happening. I didn't, everything was just way too bright, way too painful, just way too much life. And I didn't want to exist. And, uh, you know, I, I checked into a residential psychiatric hospital because I wanted to take my own life. I was self-harming. Um, and <clears throat> I'll never forget this. I was in, I was in the hospital as the second day. And, uh, one of my best friends, a, a girl named Crystal, she was just so amazing. We had such a great relationship, great friendship. She made this humongous card. It was like huge, right? And had everyone in our entire uh, ninth grade class sign it. And she brought it to me and visited me. And, and I, I'll never forget getting that card, opening it and reading it and really thinking in my mind, like, what are these people talking about? How could, how could they possibly love me when I hate me so much? How could this even, you know, I didn't feel the love that they were trying to give me to just lift me up. I, I wouldn't allow it to go in. So that really was the big, big point for me of just deep diving into everything I could get my hands on externally to fill this empty hole inside of me, to fill that void, you know, as we call it, the God-shaped hole. And I was on that path, you know, I was in residential rehab at 16 um, you know, I got in trouble with the law as a juvenile and then eight more times as an adult. Um, and it was just a constant, constant from the time I was probably 10 or 11 till I was 26 years old, constant trouble, constant lying, cheating, stealing, manipulating a lot of high times as well, where I would show up. They just very Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, right. As we call it. And you know, going through all that and, and <clears throat> I didn't, I wasn't someone that suffered from any deep traumatic experiences like a lot of our counterparts in recovery, um, you know, with physical and sexual abuse. Um, I had emotional abuse. Um, I had, you know, a father that wasn't there and dealing with those abandonment issues and, and not feeling want, you know, not feeling love and and feeling like it's your fault. And I, and I dealt with all that, but the biggest hurdle uh, that I had to get over is being the perpetrator of injustice, not the victim of injustice, right? I was the one that was hurting people. I was the one that was um, objectifying and controlling and, and abusing women. I was the one that was stealing from my family and my friends and, and stealing cars and and, you know, doing all of these radical, radical, uh, out of character uh, behaviors as a result of some, some self-centered resentment that the world owed me something and that, you know, if everyone didn't behave as, as I wanted them to, then I just couldn't live in this world. And eventually, you know, I just, I got tired, man. I just got really tired and, you know, my mom and I last, earlier last year, we were kind of, we were digging out some old thing. My mom like saved everything. So we were like going through a closet and had, she had all these papers from Florida Department of Corrections and courthouses and all this shit. And I'm like, mom, why, why the hell did you ever save this? There's a picture, uh, an old, you know, 35 millimeter roll of film in there that she would take pictures and write the date on it of me passed out in the front yard or, you know, just when I'm in a blackout. So like she could prove to me that she wasn't full of shit and I was the one that was full of shit. Yeah. Um, and <clears throat> so we're going through this and we calculated from the time I was 14 until I got off probation the last time after I, I sobered up around like 29. So in like 17 years, there was only two years where I wasn't under supervision from Florida, state of Florida. 
you know, and yeah, that's a long time to let other people run your life for you and tell you what to do. And again, the big thing was, is just, and I think we talked about this before the other day, like overcoming that, that mindset that I'm the victim or I'm not the maker of all this misery that I'm going through. Right. So everything really changed at 26. I would like to touch on one thing a little bit, because I know that so many people who have come from our background get caught up in the shame and the guilt. Um, Cause you were yep. talking about the things that you did and, and I resonate with that a lot too, because I stole from people I did. I, I manipulated people. I was not a good, you know, a good person. Um, and it took me a long time to get out of that guilt and that shame. And I, I would really um, like to ask, like, what was the biggest thing for you to shift out of that space of living, even after, like after getting sober, um, of shifting out of that guilt and that shame of your past and of the things that you have done and into the space where you are now, where you are helping and creating. Uh, I, I would like to touch, can you touch on that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. And I would say that there's uh, three things specifically um, that I would, I would, you know, answer that question with. First one is, I think it's very important that people make a clear distinction between the emotions of guilt and shame. So shame is <clears throat> you have behaved in a manner that uh, society or your culture um, or your environment that you're in has deemed morally wrong, right? So like if I go get a prostitute today and I get arrested for that, like Americans look at that as like, you're a POS, why are you doing that? Right. But I can go choose whatever woman I want out of a window in Thailand and it's perfectly acceptable in their culture. So there's a very clear distinction within shame itself that it has to be representative of some sort of cultural or societal, um, you know, moral fiber that has been broken, right? So that's shame, right? And then guilt is strictly internal. So that is breaking my own moral fiber, my own moral code that I know intrinsically it is wrong and I behave in that way anyways and I'm dealing with that all myself and no one ever even knows about it, right? So understanding that distinction for me was very, very um, helpful in the language of how I talk to myself and how I feel about things, right? Number two is, you know, I had to, uh, I had to get right with those that I harmed, right? And we, we call that making amends. And some of them went really well. And it was a spiritual experience. And then some of them were uh, not so great and they still fucking hate me. And so be it, but I, I did my side of the street and cleaned it up. And then some of them, it's just the best thing I can do is to never talk to them again, unless they reach out to me first, right? So, you know, doing that work and going through that process of deeply connecting with those I've harmed and allowing them, allowing them to forgive me. And I say allow them because me accepting that they have forgiven me and not continue to guilt and shame myself, right? And not be filled with remorse. And also going through the humility process of those that I harmed so badly that they're still hurt 10 and 20 years later, right? So it's important for me to be the receivership of their pain so that I can maybe get an inclination of the magnitude of what they feel of what I've done to them, not to go and get beat up with them consistently by a bat. I'm not a doormat, but to know that, Hey, that's really how powerful we are as people. And if we don't treat others with love and kindness, right. Or at least be assertively disagreeable. Um, like I don't have to be a dick. Um, then, you know, do that. Right. And then the last thing is, is, um, something very specific 
and it's called REBT, Rational Emotional Behavioral Therapy. And there's three self-defeating characteristics. There's anger, there's fear, and there's guilt, right? So anger is, and, and it's all surrounding my negative self-talk that we have. And, and anger is should. So I'm shouldn't all over everybody, right? I'm shouldn't all everybody. They should be doing this. They should be doing that. That guy shouldn't have pulled out in front of me because, you know, he was driving around all afternoon looking for Joe DeRoma saying, hey, fuck this guy. I'm going to pull out in front of him today because he's just that important. And it's like, no, maybe he's in a hurry. Maybe he's a dick. Maybe he has a pregnant wife in the back that her water just broke. I don't know. But I'm responsible for how disturbed I make myself with my own self-talk when I'm shooting all over everybody. The second one and I would say too, shouldn't, you're just playing God because you're not accepting reality, right? Uh, the second is fear, which is what if, you know, you'd be laying in your bed at night and all of a sudden, oh, what if this happened and this, and oh my God, and then this, oh my, yeah. and I'm, I'm living in the future and now, oh my God, all these, next thing you know, I'm like soaked in my bed, sweating, and I haven't even gone anywhere or done anything. And I've just totally gotten myself afraid for no reason because just playing that what if game, you know? And it's like, that's just not trusting God, right? Like he brought me this far to just drop me on my ass. I don't think so. Um, and then the last one specifically, uh, what we were talking about is guilt. And that's should on self. I behaved in a way that I'm now going to beat myself up time after time because I shouldn't have done that. <clears throat> shouldn't have done this. And the reality is, is I just need to accept the fact that it happened. I did it, right? And accept my own humanity. I'm a perfectly imperfect human being and I'm going to make a lot of mistakes and that, you know, a problem is just simply a human definition for an opportunity to grow. And I need to accept my own humanity. I need to move back into my natural state. And what happens is, is you take a week or two and you mark down in your phone, right? What self-talk is constantly surfacing for you. And then once you learn what all of those things surface for you can begin to dispute those. And then after a time, you just start disputing them more and more to where it just never happens. And you're constantly living in our natural abundant space where our, our higher power wants us to be so that we can be maximum service to ourselves and those around us. Wow. That's so powerful. So I, I use a concept very similar to that. I call it stabbing holes in the dominating beliefs. So I, that's yeah. something that I actually have my clients go through as well. It's just like tracking what their, what their automatic dominating thoughts and the automatic dominating thought is that initial thought that comes instantly, right? It's not the other voice that talks over it. It's the one that's just instantly, because that's how you discover what your true deepest seated internal beliefs are and i have people write them all down and then i literally have them stab holes in the paper <laughs> with a pencil <laughs> hell yeah man like as a physical representation because i feel like a lot of this stuff like that we're talking about and with the work that we both do is can be so <clears throat> out here right it could be so metaphysical and like fluffy that people have a hard time tangibly understanding it so like, I love to do exercises like that to kind of make the, the thoughts real, right? To bring a reality to the thoughts. And do you do anything like that? Like, I'm just curious, do you do any kind of like physical representations or has it mostly just been the mental work for you? No, no. But <laughs> I, I did have an image of how I, I, it would be awesome to like hang it up on a target at the gun range. Yeah, that would be pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, I actually do. I do. So I do it with my daughter as well. Whenever she's like getting all crazy, like stuck energy is we'll like set up an area outside and we'll throw paint, right? So we'll paint and we'll just like throw paint. And I tell her to channel all of that hate that you feel towards me. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it's such like that physical release helps a lot of people who can't quite make like the mental connection yet, just like in the mental space and make it real and tangible and bring it to, to reality. So I'd yeah. like to, I'd like to kind of hear a little bit more about what you're doing now, because we, we like, you've come from this place that you were feeling all of these things. And 
the shit you shifted into a space where you're really helping people and you're really living in your purpose. And that's what attracted me to you was knowing, like seeing how solid you are in your purpose and seeing how that big, massive shift. So I'd love to hear a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. I think the first thing that anyone has to do is they have to define it. You have to define what the purpose is of your, for your life. And if you don't have one, you can use mine because I spent a lot of time thinking about it and uh, I wrote it down and it's to grow and develop the, in the likeness of my creator and be a service to my fellow man, right? And by man, I mean man and woman, right? Man in general. So as soon as, you know, I clearly defined that for myself, um, you know, you have a concentration, right? So um, I think a lot of times people think about focus, right? But in order to focus, you have to have concentration and clearly defining that then provides the concentration of focus for you then to magnify the results and of the impact that you wish to have in your life, right? And it's important to understand that in order to get clear on that, you have to Put everything away. You have to turn your phone off, turn the TV off, put the Xbox controller down for 10 minutes and just sit in a chair or sit on the edge of your bed and get quiet real quick and, and, and start to think with yourself, right? Or for me, I, I sat down at a, at a, uh, you know, kitchen table with a, a, a blank piece of paper and just wrote down with pen, what is your purpose? And then just sat there and kind of stared at the paper until something surfaced for me. And, and, um, and then I just made sure that day after day, I, I focused my intention on aligning my behavior with that purpose. Um, so to clearly answer your question as well is, you know, all of that stuff that I went through, all of the harm that I did, all of that darkness then becomes my greatest asset to be of maximum service for those that are going through the same thing for two different reasons. <clears throat> um, one, so that they know and understand they're not that special. We're all special, but you're not that special in the sense that you're the only person in the world that's ever gone through that stuff and that if there's a word for what you're, how you're behaving in the dictionary, then someone on the planet has already done it before. So again, you're not that special. I think the second part of that is, is you, you, that also means you're not alone. And I think um, one of the biggest things that is a driver of negative energy, negative thoughts is, uh, you know, as we say, we're only as sick as our secrets, is holding all of that stuff into ourselves and, and, and then letting it just rot us from the inside out because we're too full of guilt, shame, and remorse to share it with anyone. Because if I opened up to you and showed you that that's who I really was, then you wouldn't like me, wouldn't love me, and you wouldn't want me around, right? But in reality, the instant that I share that deep, dark secret with someone, I get so much relief, yeah. so much relief, you know? I mean, there's a reason why the Catholics invented, you know, confession so many, you know, what, thousand years ago or some hundreds, hundreds of years ago, who knows? They've been doing it for a long, longer than I've been alive, right? So um, now the biggest thing though is, like I said, just taking the time to get to know yourself and, and clearly defining it for yourself and then aligning your behavior to that. So I know for a lot of people that can be really uncomfortable. Like we are used to spending time alone, especially this past year, but most of us have never actually spent true time alone. And by that, I mean, minus the TV, minus the phone, minus the podcast even, or books even, or any of the other, even if they're positive distractions, right? But any of those other stimulus coming into our life and just complete aloneness. And for so many people, that can be such an uncomfortable thing. I know it was for me. And as an addict, I was always looking for, you know, ways to kind of silence that or subdue that aloneness because it was so, so uncomfortable. Did you experience that? And like, how did you push through that? 
That's a great question. That's a great question. And I think the key there is, like you said, us rationalizing what's a good distraction and what's a bad distraction. And a distraction is a distraction. Just like there's distress and eustress. Stress is stress. Um, you know, I think all of us now on this side have felt the feelings of overwhelmed from having too many blessings in our life, right? So, um, so what I would say is, is that that's one of the main reasons that um, I got into coaching and I got into people development that surfaced from leading teams is because everyone doesn't have the capacity, uh, I feel, to um, instinctively just look intrinsically and begin to explore everything that they want in their life. You know, um, everyone hasn't been at the depths of low level behavior like we have where we know what it's like to feel a lot of a lot of pain. Everyone hasn't necessarily experienced that, right? Um, I would also say that, you know, since they haven't done that, maybe they aren't used to being uncomfortable all the time, mm -hmm. you know? So <clears throat> also, I mean, just subconsciously, we, we, we choose survival and familiarity over everything. So if you're not even awake to the to subconscious programming you have, then you're not even gonna even start to look at that, right? So it takes leaders it takes people in the community to kind of shake people up a little bit um, and say, hey, have you ever looked at this? And, and just hold a mirror up to people, you know? Even if they're good people, even if they're great high performers, everyone can always be better and everyone can always, you know, have things to work on. And, and I know for me, there was people throughout my life, even throughout my sickest times that always stood out as, as people that I know deeply cared for me and challenged me to be better, even when I was in the shit, you know? And so it's like, who do I want to be? Do I, do I want to be, you know, um, Mr. Lashbrook, um, you know, one of like the three teachers that made an impact on my life out of the, you know, what 50 or so that I had, or, you know, do I want to be all the other teachers, right? Do I want to be the, the coach that deeply cares about his players and and tries to impact them more than just making them a great soccer or football player or do I want to you know make them a better person so when I started thinking that way with my teams then you know the conversations that you have with them are a little bit different you know they're just a little bit different because they can feel that you care about their growth as a human being and um, I think all that all that does is then provides a safe space for them to maybe think and, and talk about things they never really have before because someone believed in them that much and cared that much to maybe even just ask. Yeah. And, and on that note, like something that I've kind of learned is that by sharing what I feel the most shame for is like how we can actually make the greatest impact like actual impact with other human beings because so many other people feel those same feelings maybe it, it manifested in a different kind of scenario but when we can be open and vulnerable and share you know our side of it that helps show other people that one they can be open and vulnerable with us and two they're like you were saying they're not alone but also just helps show people that it doesn't really matter, like that past doesn't matter. Have you seen, like you're very open and vulnerable with your story and do you resonate with that? Like, do you, like, cause you can make a greater actual impact. Like you can, there's helping people, right? And then there's impacting people. Mm. Nice, well said. That's really well said. I haven't heard it said like that. And I like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Now you're just, now you're blowing me up here. All right. Great. <laughs> Thank you for that. Um, I would say that, uh, you know, 
um, I think all of us have, have been in those situations where someone says something, you're like, oh yeah, man. Oh yeah. I felt that I've been there, you know, and you, you, you're not the one to say anything until someone else speaks up and then three more people agree. And then you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's me too. Right. Yeah. I would say I'm someone that says the things that everyone's thinking, but they really don't want to talk about, <laughs> you know, and you know what, sometimes that leads itself to, um, some pretty nasty messages, uh, some discomfort, some people lashing out, some, and most of the time, it's overwhelmingly people saying, man, I'm so glad that you said that. I, I know, ex I, I feel exact same way. I'm so glad that you said that because now I feel like I'm, I'm not so alone. And, and, and the thing is, is that uh, I had a, a extremely large aha moment in, in 2018, and I was already way far into my journey. And then I was doing some very deep work in my ontology training. And, you know, I came to the realization that no one on the planet has ever treated me worse than I've treated myself and my own mind. So anything that anyone does, does or says for the rest of my life has no power over me because I've already done it worse to myself. And that's a fantastic realization, but also a very empowering one because the instant that I share the, the things that provided me the most shame, I now render that thing powerless over me now because it doesn't hold anything on me because I'm open about it, right? It's like, you know, and, and that's the thing is the fear of exposing that, right, is what stops people from doing it. I would challenge this. I, I said, I've been saying this on, on all the podcasts I've been getting on to, and, and it's kind of just a next level of relation, healthy relationships, right? And that is when someone calls you that you care about and they have a problem, a deep fear, they're just sharing openly with you stuff that they have going on. How does it make you feel that they called you, mm. right? You feel honored, you feel loved, you, you wanna do nothing but help them and you don't, you're not judging them, but you're like, you're not even thinking about judgment, right? And yet it's so arrogant of us to sit there and not be open with others, with people, with where we're really at and afford them the luxury to let them love us and have a two-way street relationship, right? That's absurd. That's arrogant, right? I need to go out there and build healthy relationships with people. And that means letting them be the hero sometimes. I don't always have to be the savior for everyone, right? And if I can't get to a place with people in my life to express my own humanity, then we're not really building connections and we're not deep, deeply connecting at all. And I don't want to be a part of that. I already have done that for a long time, you know, um, and guess what? So now the people I ride with, every single person in my life, we have deep meaningful conversations when we talk. We talk about real shit. We challenge one another to be better. We call each other on our bullshit. And I always, always, always say I love you before I hang up the phone because I want people, you know, like Kanye said, you know, got to give people the ro roses while they can still smell them. Yeah. It's like, why, why don't I do that then? Like, why do we, why do we always just wait? Like, do it now, you know? And I think for people like us, we do that more because we know somehow we're on borrowed time already. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> Wow. Oh, you just gave me like full body goosebumps and chills with that. Like I, that resonates on such a deep, I'm like speechless over here, Joseph. Like that's so powerful because that's what people need. And sometimes like to bring it back to what you were talking about before, like the mirror aspect, those points, those conversations that make us feel like the most defensive or make us feel like the most angry, typically like that's because that hit a real note, right? That hit something that you maybe don't haven't consciously figured out yet, but your higher <laughs> self knows, 
right? And that's why it makes you mad or that's why it makes you upset at the other person. And that just brings it back to what you said at the beginning of this interview is, is the mirror aspect. And I think, you know, being able to have those real and those tough conversations without feeling that anger towards the other person for bringing it up. And it's okay if you feel that anger for a little bit, you know, sometimes like that happens to me sometimes I'll be like, yeah, screw you. And then I sit and reflect. I'm like, oh, wait, <laughs> screw me. <laughs> and, but like being able to have those open conversations where you can actually be real with the people who you're around. I feel like that's one of the biggest signs of growth is. Yeah. Absolutely. Growth and emotional intelligence. Yeah. That's all it is, is, a you know, in, in increasing your EQ. Yeah. Um, you know, there's so many studies that show the most successful CEOs on the planet have a higher EQ than they do IQ. And that, again, it's one of those things where um, if I can get, get to a place where I can talk about everything and any, anything with anyone, um, you know, uh, without getting rattled it's a you know that's a good spot but again i would say too that like emotions are neither good or bad they just are it's just a matter of we're always at choice and i need to pick and choose what will serve me best to show up for myself and others and what's needed sometimes it's very important for me to be angry if someone breaks into my house it's important for me to be angry because i need to draw on that anger and that adrenaline to get that perpetrator out of my house and protect my family you know it doesn't serve me though to keep holding on to that for 10 weeks because that person broke into my house. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, cause then that, that anger then turns into resentment and, and, and it's like, no, that, that doesn't serve me. Right. So it's clearly about choosing what emotion and, and how I'll show up. Yeah, that's most important. And like we were talking about earlier, you know, with the self-talk and taking physical action, like one of the things I do with my clients is, I ask them how those thoughts then show up in their body, mm -hmm. right? Like, is it like your shoulders tight? Can you feel your temples throbbing? You, you know, your nose heat up, you know, whatever it is, how does those thoughts then manifest into emotions that then surface in our body? And what does that feel like, right? Because there's sometimes where the body is in control and like, there's nothing at that point that unless you have an high EQ and are in control of your programming, that then the body is going to take over and it's running the show because it needs those, it needs that cortisol, it needs that dopamine from the, from the mind in order to survive because it's addicted to it, just like sugar, you know? And again, if you can get to that place, that level of awareness, and then you get to a place where you're constantly choosing how you show up for yourself and others. That's a powerful place to be. And you're going to be of maximum service. The funny thing about what you were just stating is like how our thoughts in, uh, influence our physiology. Well, on that same token, like our physiology can affect our thoughts. Like it's a highway that goes both ways. And it's something that um, I, I teach my daughter all the time is like we're very, right now with the past year, we've been really focusing on emotional intelligence and just like how to navigate the changes. And whenever she feels frustrated, like I really try to focus on like, okay, what are those feelings? Like, how does that feel in your body? Like you, you, do you get tense or like when you feel shame, like you tend to like curl up and you just like close yourself off. And so what, I do to help walk her through it because she is so young. It's so easy for her to uh, understand just like the physical aspect, but it it's same thing as adults too, right? Is yeah. forcing ourselves to when we are feeling small, forcing ourselves to literally open and just like open up to the world, like do jumping jacks and get our body moving in the way that our body would move when we're feeling the way that we desire to feel and kind of you, cause sometimes our head, it takes too much, like we're too in our head. It takes too much to like think it through. But if we can just embody that emotion that the desired emotion with our body, it makes it easier to bridge that gap. Yep. 
Absolutely. And the somatic disposition that you speak of is called openness. <clears throat> you know, it's open energy, it's receivership. Mm -hmm. And like you said, it's, you know, a lot of people when, when we do that body work, it's their hands are, you know, out by their side, you know, open and their shoulders are back and they're receiving, welcoming, warm, right? Very backwards energy to, to be a receiver. And, and um, it's amazing how just shifting your body can shift your thoughts. You know, like it's, uh, it, it's, it's interesting. You know, a lot of times I tell people, if you're in a bad spot, just go drive around in your car and sing your favorite song. Yeah. Like as loud as you can, like, you're going to feel better afterwards. It will suck at first or, <laughs> you know, <clears throat> and it's cool too. Like when you, you know, just doing this work, I'm, I'm watching, uh, just how, how different cultures behave and they're mannerisms and all that stuff. I was getting my hair cut um, uh, by my barber, Ahmad. He's an awesome, um, uh, he's an awesome Pakistani guy, Pakistani guy uh, here in Tampa. And he always has like Arabic movies on, right? So the other day I'm getting my hair cut and this lady's like, uh, you know, yelling at her husband. And to me, it looked like you know, she was very upset with him. And so I, I'm like, I'm like, Ahmad, what is, what is she saying? He's like, she is like pouring her heart out to him of like how much she loves him and that passion. Yeah. But like the, the, the body language was very different than how we do it in the Western civilization. You know what I mean? So it's like <laughs> understanding and just paying attention to those distinctions, right. Or, or like even with animals, right. Like with my dog, you know, it's like, I'll come up to her and, and, and I always joke around, uh, you know, showing, showing my son this stuff, you know, um, I'm a, I'm a parent like you and I'll come up to my dog and I'll go, Oh my God, Hattie, y'all, oh, y'all, you're such a piece of shit. Oh my God. You know, I'm like talk down to her right with words, but she only understands the loving body emotions. Right. So she's reacting and getting all happy. And my son thinks it's the funniest thing on the planet. Cause you know, I'm saying all these terrible things to her, but she's reacting to my body language. Yeah. And the same is with people, man. And tonality too. Like you can say a message and it can be received a thousand different ways, just depending oh, yeah. on the tonality of how you say it. <laughs> or, or on text. <laughs> well, that's why text sucks. <laughs> I can't tell you how many situations I've gotten into because of text. <laughs> uh, yeah, because they're reading. They're reading it with their eyes. Exactly. That's why I, I now I send voice. I do voice messages, like voice memos, all the time because I was sick and tired of dealing with. But like, I'm like, no, I, this is good. This is a positive thing I'm trying to give to you. I'm sorry. Like, ah. <laughs> that's a good call out. I need to, I need to do that more too. Yeah. And you know what, Just yeah. I do it um, on like when I connect with new people, a lot of times like on Instagram or Facebook, I do it there as well. I, mm, I do just the voice memo because like I'm a huge believer in energy transfer. And if we're yeah. through the internet, we're in this digital age, like how am I supposed to transfer my energy into someone? Well, the best way that I know how is through my voice, is through using my voice and pouring my love into others. And I can transfer that just based on my tonality. And it's been massive as far as, because like I would rather connect on an authentic level with a few people a day, then, you know, automate everything and connect with a thousand people a day, right? Like that's, that's how I feel like I can make the biggest impact. And so it takes a little bit more time. Actually, it doesn't, it takes less time, I realized, but, <laughs> but <laughs> like people also just feel like they can feel the care and the individualized attention. Like you're not just copying and pasting a message to them. And you say their name and, and, and you relate to them. And like, that's how we can make such a huge impact on the world. It's just by transferring our energy. And like you were saying earlier, like how you tell everyone that you love them, it's like pouring that love because people can feel that intention. 
Yeah, I mean, I, you're spot on because, I mean, I've been in the hospitality industry for 15 years. So our whole job is making people feel special. Yeah. You know, that's, that's all it is, just deeply connecting with people. So, I mean, over the years, I can't tell you, you know, just like you said, um, how many times, you know, guests in my restaurants have become good friends and still talk to them this day. And, you know, it's, you just, you never know. <clears throat> my restaurant that I, I uh, single unit that I ran for five years was about 15 or 16 minutes away from uh, uh, Moffitt, which is a, one of the premier cancer hospitals in the nation. Um, so there was a lot of people that, you know, it's their first or last or consistent, you know, trips to all around the Tampa Bay area, they go there for their chemotherapy and radiation. And the only thing they want to eat is something at my restaurant. And then I have deep conversations with them on what they're going through. And I listen, and I'll tell you, guess what? I did that for, for uh, two whole years. And then my mom got cancer and I'm, I, I'm her healthcare surrogate and was driving her back and forth to her appointments. And I can't tell you how many tips, how many strategies, how many helpful hints I got from people that showed up telling me those things that I was able to apply to my life and show up for my mom and be there. And it totally made, it totally helped her experience because I took the time to connect with somebody else that was going through that in my restaurant. And, and I think that's the power of relationships and connection, right? Is like you said, they're going through this deep, dark time. I show up that with them with openness and love and attentive listening. They transfer that energy and those feelings and, and those, those hints and strategy and experience onto me. And then I'm presented with an experience where I can then go transfer that energy onto someone that I love more than anyone and be of true service. And that's kind of, and then, you know, now it's, it's, you keep passing it around. And, and that, that for me is like you said, that's the difference between, um, what'd you say? That's how you make an impact rather than just showing up, right? The difference between helping people and yep. impacting people. Right. Exactly. <clears throat> you know, and, and those are things that I'll never forget, you know? And that's like, I mean, I believe that true happiness and true fulfillment is when we discover that our purpose lies outside of us right like it's not it's not what can i get it's not how much money can i make you know how big can i get but when we real when we shift it from from the what can i get to what can i give and that's mm -hmm. when everything changes not only will you find yourself in a better financial situation just based on the laws of the universe, but also you find yourself actually happy. Yeah. And the cool thing is, is if you stand close enough to somebody face to face, you can see your reflection in their eyes. Oh, I and that's, <laughs> that's the reason. Yeah. I mean, in our, my ontology training, we stood face to face with somebody for 20 minutes without talking and um and then we all went around the room and shared five minutes each on our experience and there was 40 of us every single person the pairs they knew what the uh, they were having a conversation without ever talking wow. so it just shows how deeply connected we really are if we're open to it right mm -hmm. and that only happens by the reduction of me and the in and the addition of we <laughs> Oh, I, I, I need to write some of these things down, Joseph. I'm going to put them. I love to put quotes like all over everywhere because I, even if I don't consciously read it, my subconscious mind is picking it up and you dropped some bombs on me and I'm going to be writing those down and those are going to be going in my space because wow, wow. Oh my, I like, I hope you guys can feel this power from Joseph right now. He is an incredible human being. And gosh, I could talk, we could talk for days <laughs> about all of this. Like every, like I can't even believe that it's already been almost an hour. Like how did that happen? But 
Joseph, I know that you have brought some value to our listeners here. And I want to ask you, how can people connect with you further? How can people further this conversation um, with you? Yeah, thank you. Uh, just my name, Joseph DeRoma, Facebook, uh, Instagram, as well as LinkedIn. Um, I'm heavy on all those. Um, you can reach me at Joseph DeRoma at the successfulmail.com if you wish to email me. Um, and uh, our website is the successfulmail.com. Um, and that will showcase the full community of um, ambitious, successful men uh, that we're building, uh, our programs. Um, hopefully, one day we'll get back to live events where um, men can come and gather and have real conversations, meaningful conversations. And, um, you know, we'll keep driving the pace to, to make men better to show up in their communities and families. Beautiful. And you guys, I'm going to put um, links to all of all of Joseph's amazing things in the description below. So if you would like to connect with him, make sure that you check the description, connect with him. He's an amazing human being. And I, I just thank you so much for being so open and vulnerable with us today. And seriously, like I'm going to have to go back and listen to this like a hundred times because there was just so many gems that you just laid out in front of me and the way like we are extremely similar in the way that we think, but the way that we express ourselves is definitely different. So I picked up on just so much from you and I just want to pour love back into you and just tell you how much I appreciate you, how happy I am that you're still here with us on this earth, able to share your message and to continue to make an impact on the world. tuning into today's episode of the Becoming the Big Me podcast. If you found value in today's episode, make sure to leave us a review and share this episode with someone who needs to hear this message. That's how our podcast grows. Are you curious about learning more about harnessing the power of your subconscious mind? Then join the free Rewire Challenge, where we dive deep into the subconscious mind, how it works, and give you some tangible action steps to begin rewiring it to serve you. Go to bit.ly slash rewirechallenge. That's bit.ly slash rewirechallenge. Until next time, I'm your host, Jamila Bernie, signing out.